Hello and welcome to day 93 of our Bible reading course. The letters of Paul talk a lot about how the Gospel had come to the Gentiles and included them equally into God's salvation and promises. But where did that leave Jewish believers? As time went by and their influence decreased in many churches, along with the pressures of persecution, was it really all worthwhile? Or would they be better to go back to their Jewish faith? After all, they had a temple, priests, sacrifices and the covenant. What did Christianity have in comparison? The letter to the Hebrews was written to encourage and warn Jewish believers that the gospel they'd received was the fulfilment of everything they'd grown up believing, and to turn back would be a big mistake. As we read, look out for how many times the new things in Jesus are shown to be better or superior to the old. Today's passage is Hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 to chapter 5 verse 10 and then chapter 7 verse 26 to the end of chapter 9. Let's pray. Eternal God, I remember how Moses used to meet with you in the tent outside the camp, his face shining with your glory. May I know your presence and peace as I spend time with you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honour on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever, in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Some though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7 verse 26 such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. 
he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath, which came after the law, appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed, as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. 
But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary, then, for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I wonder how you got on with that challenge to identify the comparisons between the old and the new in our reading, which is the central theme of Hebrews. Here are some of the main ones. Firstly, Jesus is a high priest without sin, whereas the high priests of Israel were sinners who had to offer sacrifices for themselves before being able to do so on behalf of the people. Secondly, there's the sacrifice itself, at the temple they took the form of animals of various kinds. These were not true substitutes for human beings and therefore could never clear their consciences, chapter 9, verse 9, bringing merely outward cleansing. Jesus, however, identified completely with us through his baptism, temptations and that favourite title, Son of Man, so that his sacrifice is fully sufficient 
resulting in inner sanctification. What's more, in the temple the high priest brought the blood of a third party, whereas Jesus brings his own in sacrifice. The temple offerings were made every day, since they were only temporary. But Jesus died once for all, bringing eternal salvation and eternal redemption. Then there's the distinction between the earthly temple and the heavenly sanctuary, the former being built by human beings as a mere copy and shadow of the latter, the blueprint made by God himself. Speaking of heaven, of course, Christ has been raised from death and exalted to the Father's right hand. There he exercises his priestly ministry of intercession on behalf of his people. Jesus is also the mediator of a new covenant, promised in the Old Testament through people like Jeremiah, which has now come into effect through his blood. Under this covenant, God's ways will be written on human hearts rather than tablets of stone. Finally, the presence of God was shielded from the people in the temple, behind curtains. There were also courtyards for different categories of worshippers. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place, and that but once a year. All of that has now been transformed through Jesus' death and resurrection. Some people find all of this Jewish background and imagery a little obscure and struggle to see its relevance. Others find it fascinating. Wherever we are on that continuum, I hope that our journey together on this course through the Old and New Testaments has demonstrated beyond doubt that Jesus Christ is the fulfilment of all that went before, and in the words of the Book of Common Prayer, made on the cross a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. The change in understanding and practice for Jewish believers in Jesus as Messiah must have been enormous. I take a few minutes to imagine the whole ritual of temple sacrifice and worship. Everyone knew their place and kept the appropriate distance from the Holy of Holies. And then sweeping all of that away and replacing it with what Hebrews describes in chapter 4 verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How do I, as one who has never known that contrast, value my unfettered access to the presence of Almighty God through Jesus Christ? And what does this mean for my understanding and practice of communion or the Lord's Supper? Lord God, my Heavenly Father, it's quite overwhelming even to begin to grasp the change that has happened through the death of Jesus upon the cross. I bless you with all my heart for the extraordinary privilege of having my sins forgiven and being born again as your child through the gift of faith, to call you Abba, Father, and know your unconditional love. Nothing I can ever do will earn your ongoing grace and covenant commitment so help me rather to live out my gratitude in unreserved obedience and service to the God who has saved my soul. At home, school, 
university, work, and in my neighbourhood. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Saviour, who even now prays for me at your right hand. Amen.